Hi, welcome to What Not Fun, a podcast on work and play. Each episode, we dive deep into our guests' play history, then do our best to draw parallels to their adulthood. Lots of stories filled with insight that surprises and delights. Today's episode, we have... Hi, I'm Julie Nelson, and I work in people operations, which most, most people know as human resources. I work on university engagement and sourcing, which is building longer-term relationships with people who may eventually want to work at my company. And also, I work on professional development. And part of my focus right now is on StrengthsFinder. Uh, I'm a certified Clifton Strengths coach. Speaking with Julie really immersed me into different points in her life. For example, her love of teaching as a child carried through to her adulthood career. I'm your host, Frank McDade. Without further ado, let's get started. Now we want to dig deep inside your brain and learn about what made you who you are today. So can you take us back to when you were just a little Julie and sort of talk through the kinds of toys you would play with and also the different activities that you enjoyed? Sure. When I think about my favorite childhood activities, the first thing that comes to mind is playing school. I took over about a fourth of our large basement with a table and chairs and a big chalkboard and school supplies. For most of my childhood, I wanted to become a teacher, a first grade teacher to be exact. My mom was a speech therapist. She's now retired. And when I was young, I loved going to school with her because she worked in a different school district. So sometimes I would have a day off when she still had to go to work. So I would go in and help my mom. I'd visit with and help other teachers. I loved being involved in classes, reading to students, using the die cut machine, eating lunch with my mom's friends. I liked being given a responsibility, so something that I could do to help a student or something like that. Teachers at her school would give me school supplies that they no longer needed or wanted, so that contributed to the school that I had set up in my basement. I remember sometimes getting family members to play school with me and to be my students, mainly my mom and my grandma, but sometimes I would set up dolls and stuffed animals. One distinct memory I have is that I was having my dolls fill out a worksheet, so I went around and filled it out for them, each in a different handwriting. I specifically remember doing that, which is so funny that I took the time and paid so much attention to detail, but I think even at that time in my life, I realized that each person is different, so of course, every doll of mine would fill out the, com- would fill out the worksheet differently. That's how I felt. Oh, my God. Um, Did you have any certain <laughs> subjects or anything that you would teach in first grade, or was it pretty much everything? You know, these dolls had to get their full 360 education. <laughs> it was everything, if I remember correctly. I think um, my vision of being a first grade teacher was that I would teach all the different subjects. I would teach English and math and science. So I think um, especially getting those resources from my mom's friends I had all different kinds of things to play with so I I taught it all that's great yeah yeah when I was thinking about how I played as a child I asked my mom for her thoughts and help in jogging my memory so I'll share both my distinct memories and then some of what my mom helped me to remember one thing that she said was that when I played school she could tell that I was imitating my teachers. I really liked my teachers for the most part, and she could hear me saying things that she knew I must have heard from them. And another detail she remembered was that I wanted to be a disciplinarian. I wanted my students to pay attention and to be good listeners. So I found that to be funny. That's very funny. And how old were you again around this time? Oh, I started doing this when I was very little. I mean, I would say 
I don't know exactly when I started, but I would say I definitely remember doing this around the ages of four through, through who knows, like four through eight or 10. Wow. Probably. That's awesome. Yeah. I just imagine this little disciplinarian um, filling out the worksheets for them. That's very, it's very engaging. Yeah. And I loved, I'm so glad I asked my mom about that because I do remember some of it for sure. And I remembered like the different handwriting story, but I didn't remember that I was a disciplinarian that I wanted the students to listen to me. Um, so that's, that's a funny thing to think about. Um, so aside, aside from playing school, there were a lot of other things I liked to play. I was interested in dolls for a large part of my childhood. I had a lot of Barbie dolls and a Barbie dream house with a working elevator, which was awesome. And I also had different types of dolls, like an American Girl doll and Cabbage Patch dolls. I remember really wanting a certain doll that my cousin had, and it was pretty lifelike. It was the size of a real baby, its eyes open and shut. It could fit into the baby clothes that I still had from when I was a baby. So when I got that doll, I remember keeping it with me almost all the time at that point. So I, I treated that doll, especially, almost like it was real. I would feed it and put it to sleep and, and do all of that. So I, I really liked caring for dolls when I was younger. Other than that, I was up for most things when I was little. I liked using my imagination. I had a kitchen set. So I remember liking to play restaurants. I would take people's orders and then serve them. And I also enjoyed playing store. I wanted to set up a store and then for people to come shopping in my store. And really, I, I think at that point or at some point I wanted to be a checkout person at a grocery store and now I get to do that with self-checkout so ah, I I share that dream as well I share that dream where I always wanted to like press the big buttons on the cash <laughs> register and stuff uh you never quite mm -hmm. got the same experience with playing as a child but like yeah when you grew up that was the job to have yeah Exactly. I loved that. And I also loved going to the grocery store and watching the person who was decorating cakes. I don't know if you ever did that, but I, I just, there was, there were times when someone was decorating cake and my mom would just leave me there to watch because I loved watching them do that. So that dream has not been achieved yet, but I, I would love to get better at decorating cakes. Um, let's see. Also, when I was young, being creative was really fun for me. I liked coloring, drawing, crafting. I also enjoyed music and singing. I was in musical performances at school, even when I was very young, and I took piano lessons, I would say, starting in second grade or so. And my mom took me every year to a series called Performing Arts for Kids, which included live performances and music. And I was even in some community shows starting in fourth and fifth grade. So I remember in sixth grade, I started becoming closer with who the person who became my best friend. And I think part of what really brought us together was she showed me her scrapbook and I fell in love with it and, and then really started to get into that too. And I, I really liked spending time with certain people when I was very young. I had a great uncle who was really fun and kind and I have great memories of being with him. I liked building things and being crafty so he would sometimes just give me a piece of wood and a bunch of nails and let me go to town <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> it was it I, was fun yeah. yeah especially um how young you might have been you know now i don't know if 
parents would necessarily do that, but I have memories of the same thing of being young and just being thrown a bunch of wood and some nails. And it's like, here, make something. Yeah. I, I feel like I was probably pretty young and I think you're right. If parents were thinking about that now, they would think, Oh, you know, she'll hit her finger or hurt herself or something. But at the time I was fine and I, and I loved it. Yeah. I remember I built a, like a spice rack, but it was more for like condiments. So it was a condiment rack. Uh, we went camping a lot and, uh, we had like a spot at a campground. So I was able to actually like hang it on a tree and it was up there up until when we stopped camping. So, I mean, it was probably up there a good 10 years. <laughs> so I'm pretty, I'm pretty still proud of my, uh, one of my first builds. That's awesome. That's really cool. I, I no, I can't say that we kept anything that I made that long, <laughs> but, but that's awesome. So I think we're ready to go ahead and take our next step into our next discussion, which is what kind of parallels do you see from when you were a child and some of the examples that you just talked through and who you are today? Yeah, so I, I do see some parallels. A few things that come to mind are that when I was a child, I mentioned that I really loved playing school. I liked being a teacher and I wanted to be a teacher for a lot of my life. And then I think as I got older, I realized that I didn't think that I really wanted to focus on elementary education like I thought I did when I was younger. But but a lot of my career has had um, like pieces of education. I'm still I'm still somewhat working in education and training, even though now I'm working with adults and not children. So I can I can explain a few parts of my life where this this line uh, has continued on. So for example, even though I didn't end up studying education when I was an undergrad, I, after undergrad, I went into the Peace Corps and I was in the Peace Corps in Azerbaijan for about three years. And the main thing that I was doing there was teaching. Uh, I was a teacher of students in a secondary school. So it was mainly like junior high and early high school age students. I was teaching English. And so I was teaching classes. I was working with students for conversation clubs and other clubs outside of school. We did a lot of different after-school activities and camps. And so I had a chance for a few years to be a teacher and to be in that role, even though that's not what I wanted to focus on for my whole career. And I actually ended up staying in Azerbaijan longer than I had to and I wanted to help to train new volunteers who are coming into the country. So I did that. I stayed for about an extra seven months and I helped to train new volunteers. And again, this was training and working with adults who were getting ready to have the experience of, of being in Peace Corps and being on their own. And so that's, the, that's one of the parallels that I see from when I was younger. I was so focused on teaching and helping people to develop. And I think that continued on into my Peace Corps experience. And then I think even what I've done after Peace Corps in my, in my professional life after that, a lot of what I've done has focused on training, on uh, professional development and personal development. And that's something that I want to continue in my career. And I think when I was young, maybe I just knew that I loved teaching and helping people and, and helping them to develop. But at the time, my 
my world was built around children, right? I was a child. And then I think as I've gotten older and I've been more exposed to different types of education and adult education, that's how my interest has morphed. I think it's fascinating to look at the experience that you had in Azerbaijan and even the difference in culture. I mean, how much were you exposed to even how those individuals had play in their life? Like, did you get a glimpse into, mm-hmm. into like the differences from when you were a child and the individuals you were teaching? Yeah, I definitely did. That's a great question and something I hadn't thought about. Um, yeah. So I think when I was a child, I had a lot of toys and, and things to play with. And I, I think, yeah, even when I was playing school, like I said, I did use my imagination, but I had a lot of resources and materials from, from teachers who had gifted me those things. And then in Azerbaijan, the way that I saw kids playing was much more simple. So most kids didn't have that many toys. And even when you think about toy shops in the U.S., uh, or at least what they used to be when Toys R Us was open and everything. It's just like, and, and even now, I guess online, there are so many things available. There are so many different types of toys and electronic games and everything that the kid can play with. And in Azerbaijan, it was a soccer ball or it, it was, uh, you know, just very few toys. I have not, I didn't see anyone's house that was full of toys like I see in the U.S. Yeah. You know, it's just like they were really using their imagination more, spending time with people, going outside. I think it probably is similar to what I imagined childhood was like a long time ago in the U.S. Right, before commercialism and all the other things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. No, that's just, as, as you were talking about it, it just like piqued my interest because I was like, it's a really fascinating thing to... Uh, be exposed to at a relatively young age, you know, when you were in the Peace Corps. Um, mm-hmm. And I just think, you know, as as you're going along um, and you're exposed to different people that you're teaching, uh, I, just, I just see that group being such a pivotal moment for you in sort of your teaching career, so to speak. Uh, you know, whether you're training individuals now, I just feel like there's a, probably a lot more, uh, a bigger... Um, what am I trying to say? Like a greater tolerance that you have for working with individuals just because, you know, you worked Mm. with all these kids, first of all. And then um, second of all, the English was not their primary language. So I would just imagine that has a huge impact on your job. For sure. You're right. That when I was teaching in Azerbaijan, when I first started teaching, I knew very few people in my town who could speak English really well. There were some teachers of English, but but also even if someone taught English, it didn't mean that they spoke very well because they didn't have people to practice with yeah. very often. So even if they knew the grammar perfectly and could teach it and were good teachers generally, I was I, I felt like a big part of my role there was helping people to actually speak and use the language. And yeah, I think that changed the way that I Um, interact with people in general. I think when I was there, I was changing the way that I talked, you know, speaking more slowly. And I just, I think I, I built up a different type of patience than I had had before. Mm -hmm. And and I was happy to help people, but it was just, it was definitely um, a very different experience than I think I would have had if I would have taught for two or three years in the U.S. 
That's great. So going back, I believe we were talking about the parallels, and uh, obviously we started with teaching, so I'm just going to throw it back to you to see and pick up sort of where sure. we left off. Yeah. So I, when I was thinking about parallels, one, one thing I was trying to draw parallels to was the fact that I started traveling when I was in college. That was when I had my first short-term study abroad experience, and I fell in love with that. And then I ended up going on a few other short-term study abroad trips and then studying abroad for a semester. And then that all led into Peace Corps and, and where I am today, which is I, I have spent um, time, significant time in Turkey, and I travel often. And I, I was trying to think of where that desire came from, because I don't come from a family of travelers or people who have lived abroad. When I was young, I didn't have much exposure uh, to people who had, yeah, traveled extensively. My mom went on a month-long trip to Europe when she was in her 20s, which is awesome. My great uncle and one of my grandfathers were posted overseas when they were in the military, but that was about it. So I don't, I was just trying to think if I was directly influenced or inspired to travel, at least internationally, by specific specific events or interests during my childhood. Um, I'm not sure if, if it was direct, but I do. I did think of a few funny stories that I hadn't mentioned yet that might be loosely linked to, or or parallel to, um, you know, what caused me to want to travel extensively. And I, I didn't mention them yet because they're kind of one-off stories and not generally how I like to play when I was younger. So let's hear them. All right. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that. I'll, I'll share a few stories that I think might be loosely linked to the qualities that I had that later enabled me or pushed me to want to experience the beautiful challenge of traveling and living abroad. One is my mom's all-time favorite story. This took place when I was about one and a half years old. One night after my brother and I went to sleep, my parents were in the living room and heard a big bam. So my mom told my dad to follow her and stay behind her because she was startled and she didn't know what she would find. That sound came from my room. So she opened my door slowly and turned on the lights and she saw me standing on the floor with not a stitch of clothing on. I had jumped out of my crib. So I took all my clothes off and jumped out of my crib. And she said that I looked afraid, but probably because I thought she was going to be mad at me, but I was totally fine. And so she said she just talked in a gentle voice and said, Julie, look at you. You jumped out of your crib. <laughs> Let's get you dressed again. We'll, we'll get you back to sleep. So I think in that moment, she knew that, number one, they needed to get me a bed. And number two, she just knew that I wasn't going to be the type of person who could be fenced in. Like She knew that <laughs> I was going to be an adventurer and independent and inquisitive and you know, in that situation, I was one and a half. I could have cried or yelled for my parents to come get me if yeah. I didn't want to be in my crib. But obviously, something inside me, I, I just decided it wasn't for me at that moment. So I'm going to do something about it. Yeah, you handled it yourself. So, exactly. Yeah. So my mom has connected that before with the fact that I love to travel just because she knew in that moment that I might be an explorer or someone who, you know, wants to figure things out on my own and, and, yeah find find things out about the world such a strange and interesting story (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, i love that it's my mom's favorite story about me and she tells it better than i do but right it's it's one that's so funny and 
she shared it with my five-year-old nephew and he wants to hear it again and again because he <laughs> thinks it's hilarious. He laughs and cracks oh. up about it every time she tells it. Um, yeah, I think, I think sometimes when I was younger, I would want to be with people or want to be held or cuddled. But most of the time I wanted to get down and do my own thing. That was the type of child I was. And, um, yeah, so I have a couple other funny stories about travel when I was younger that I think might have, might have hinted that I was going to be more interested in this one day when given the opportunity. Another funny story is that I didn't travel internationally until I was 19, but we did travel domestically when I was younger. Our first Disney World trip was when I was five years old, and that was the first time I went on a plane. And I remember liking to travel and really enjoying some of the different aspects of it. And at that time of my first plane trip, they still served food, even though it was only a two-hour flight. So I remember enjoying the meal so much that I kept raving about it. <laughs> and now looking back, I think that it's because I was on a plane and I just loved the whole experience. But even when we got home from that trip, every time my mom would cook, I would try the I would try whatever she cooked and then I would say this is good but not as good as plain food oh my god I remember saying it just like that I can't believe that she put up with me <laughs> that's such a bratty thing to do but I remember doing that for a long time I can I yeah but the the whole experience of like going to an airport waiting for the plane boarding the plane getting a snack, eating food. Like I can totally see that entire experience just being like not overwhelming, but like overwhelming in a good way. Um, and yeah. I can see that sticking with you. And I just love that the food for you was so good. It was probably terrible. Uh, probably like the worst thing ever, but just the fact that you're on a plane, it made it that much better. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I think that's, that's, the first thing I can remember really sticking out from travels when I was younger, but I remember other trips too, where I was just fascinated by everything, you know, like my, my family took, took a trip to Arizona when I was in sixth grade to visit my aunt and uncle for Easter. Um, they, that was a four hour flight and I absolutely loved Arizona. I think my mind was blown because it was such a different landscape. The weather was so nice. There were different stores and restaurants. I remember swimming in my aunt and uncle's pool on Easter. And then when we flew back, it was snowing and I had tears in my eyes. And I was just like, it was, it just, I don't think it was just the weather though. It was just like the fact that I had gone and experienced a different world, even though it was only four hours away, but it just, that was the furthest I had gone up until that point, And I just found everything fascinating. So I think while those are one-off stories and not necessarily the way that I played when I was younger, these are things that stick out to me that may have, um, you know, that may have led to me wanting to travel when I was older. And I think it's all about exposure. I think when, when you're young or, or any time in life, you don't know what you don't know. So when I was younger, I didn't think about traveling internationally because I didn't really hear about it very much. And I didn't really know it was a thing, but then once I found out, I think, these other qualities that I had uh, and these like one-off stories that I've shared really, yeah, I think the type of person that I was and, and the curiosity that I had and the, the fact that I wanted to explore and I was fascinated about 
things that were different from where I came from, I think that all led to me wanting to pursue that path. Yeah, I think there's like these miracle moments that sort of happen throughout our young life where, you, like you said, it might not be a form of play, but it's still a moment that's so powerful that really impacts you and sort of like ties together a lot of disparate pieces of yourself. I remember certain ones myself as well. Like, um, you know, I got really into theater and sort of arts uh, more as I grew older um, meaning in junior high and high school. And I remember going to see a musical for the first time at a high school. And I was just like blown away by it, you know, like everything from the singing mm-hmm. to the dancing. I was just like astonished that this thing existed and that kids were doing it like not much older than myself. So, you know, while that's not a moment of play, it's like this in- experience that just like engulfs you into that world And like, as you move forward, you try to figure out like, how do I do more of that? Or how do I make that a part of my life? Um, So I think those sort of like impact moments are really, uh, really, really important. So I'm glad that you brought up a few. Yeah, for sure. And and that's a great one that you shared too. And yeah, you bringing back up musicals, that reminds me of a couple other parallels I've thought of. Like when I when I was in the Peace Corps or even what I do now for professional development and training, I think that um, I try to incorporate different interests that I had when I was younger. And this isn't always a conscious thing, like, oh, I liked to do this thing or I liked this type of play, so I'm going to do it now. But I think it just weaved its way into what I was doing. So, for example, when I was in the Peace Corps, one of the projects that I enjoyed the most with my students was that we organically came up with this idea to make videos. And so we made videos. I mean, these were like 15, 20 minute long videos when when all was said and done about our town. We made one video about a major holiday in Azerbaijan. So this and and this combined, I think, my my interest in being creative and some of the things I did when I was younger, even though I wasn't editing videos when I was five years old, I was singing and I was um like taking pictures maybe and I was drawing and doing different things that enabled me to create something and that's something that I wanted to do when I was in Peace Corps and the students who I worked with loved it because they had never done something like that before and they were so proud of the end product and I to this day am so happy about it because it's something that I can take away from that experience and I can actually watch it today if I wanted to you know there's there's not much like that unless you, um, you know, record or take pictures. And it's like, it's such a nice reminder of, of the experience. So I loved doing that and being creative. And I also thought about what I, when I played with dolls, when I was younger, I, I did that a lot. And where I am in my life now in my career, I'm not working directly with children or um, I'm not working with babies, but I would say that Playing with dolls, I think, was teaching me how to nurture and care and be compassionate. And even though I don't work with children directly right now, I think I still have a compassion and a caring that comes through for the adults that I work with and the way that I talk to people and the way that I want to get to know them and I want to listen. I think there could be some parallels that are drawn there, too. Going back to the videos, I just love that as a project because i mean for those kids like you said they were just probably elated to do something like that um 
it's an approach that you take that is not worrying about the quality, not worrying about, you know what I mean? You sort of like throw out all those mm -hmm. guardrails and you just focus on creating something together. And I think that's so important, especially like growing up, you, you gave those kids an experience that they would not have otherwise had. And who knows the impact that it could, that it had on, you know, at least maybe one or a few of those people. Uh, and they'll probably yeah. remember that forever. Yeah, that's, you're right. I think they had a great time. They they especially felt special because at the end I did a reel where I would have their name and their picture and they just Aww. I could see them them light up about that and and I think you're right about like I'll never know what the impact was. I remember before I went into Peace Corps, I read a book about people who had been in the Peace Corps in the very beginning in the 60s and 70s and and there was a quote from someone that said that she was a teacher in Peace Corps, and she said, some people can see the, the impact of their work because they help to build a bridge or they, they help to farm the land or something like that. But she said, when you're a teacher, how can you photograph the mind of a child? Like, you'll never know exactly yeah. what, what that did. And even that child may never consciously connect all the dots. And even that's how I'm feeling when when we're talking about my childhood, I think that I can connect some very obvious dots, but it's so hard to be able to dive deep enough to really know exactly where everything came from. It's so interesting. And even getting stories like from your mother and so forth, like there's things that they see as being impactful on your life that you might not have even thought of. So you're not the first mm -hmm. to bring up stories like that. Um, and you know, there's things my mom says all the time, like, you know, oh, I remember this thing, and that's probably why the way you are the way you are. And, like, I remember my parents buying me luggage in high school because they, they were like, you're going to be a traveler. And I was like, no, I'm not. But meanwhile, you know, I ended up moving <laughs> from city to city, uh, and they just, like, saw something that I didn't see, you know, which is really crazy to think about. Um, but, you know, I guess that's just part of parenting. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And I think, yeah, that's the same. Even with friends, I see friends recognize things in me that I might not see in myself. It's great to have that lens from other people and for to have those relationships with other people where they feel comfortable um, talking to us about what they see. And, and it's really nice, like you said, especially to have parents who can share those things because we might not always think it's right at the time, like you said about the, the luggage, but there's often some truth in whatever is shared. Now you had mentioned, um, you had brought up the dolls again and sort of how that may have led to your compassion and so forth with individuals in your adult life. Um, I guess my question will be, where do you see that playing a, a role in your current job? Like, do you feel... Mm -hmm. Um, that there are parallels, like do you have any examples or or anything sort of how you engage with people at work because of that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that I'll, I'll I'll go into what I do a little bit more related to Strength Finder. So I'm I'm a certified Clifton Strength Coach, which means that I have completed the coursework and and the uh, practical work necessary to coach people and do team lead team building activities based on the Clifton Strengths assessment. And so um, so when I have any of those types of sessions, whether it's a one-on-one -on -one coaching session or it's a team building session, I 
think that some of the qualities that I, I developed as a child when I was playing with dolls and nurturing and caring them are coming out, especially in those situations, because when I'm coaching or team building, I really have to hone in and listen really well. I, I genuinely feel like I really care about what people are saying. It's so interesting to learn about people on a deeper level and to be able to facilitate conversations where um, teammates actually who know each other and work together are still learning more and more about each other because it's just a, a tool to use to be able to dive into those conversations that you don't have on a regular basis at work. And so I think I can feel myself wanting, like having compassion for people, caring and wanting, genuinely wanting people to continue to develop and to become more self-aware and to figure out different ways to overcome challenges of working with other people, because no matter how great a team is, there are always challenges or misunderstandings. And I really feel like I want to help people to navigate those situations. And so I do see some of the characteristics that I developed as a child playing with dolls coming out in those types of environments and uh, those types of experiences. I love it. I love the parallels there. Um, I just think it's so important as we grow older and grow older together as a society, like especially millennials, that they don't lose track of um, sort of what you described around um, the compassion and sort of wanting to know each other a little bit more in order to work better together. I think that's so important. And a lot of people I've talked to, especially um, in, even on the podcast so far, they've really brought out, you know, the desire to want to work with like I don't I would say fun people, but it's really people that are open, people who have, you know, some sort of um, awareness about themselves and are able to guide themselves in a way that brings people along with them. Um, so mm-hmm. th- I think there's a lot of great stuff there in, in the work that you do and even the work that uh, should be done everywhere. I think if everybody did those strength finders, it would just be a lot more in tune with themselves and then even like dig deeper into how do you have more of an open expansive view on life? Cause I don't think it's just work. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think I've met people who have been very skeptical about these types of assessments and I totally get it. I do not try to convince anyone to be a believer, uh, but I do try to get people to see the value that there is in taking an assessment and the, the results are never black and white. Of course, right. there's, of course, you know, it's, it's just a place to start to think more deeply about who we are and how we show up in the world and how we work with others and how we're perceived. And it's like, it's just a tool. And that's what I love about it. And I think I particularly like strength finders because there are a lot of tools out there like Myers-Briggs and others that put you into a category. And I think there's value in that too. But I think with strength finders, there are 34 potential strengths and the chance that two people have the same top five strengths in the same order is one in 33 million. So that's, that's, yeah, exactly. You're more likely to get struck by lightning this year than to have the same strengths in the same (laughs) order as someone else. But I love that because it's so unique to each individual. Yeah, and the totally. whole 
the whole idea behind Clifton Strengths is what will happen when we start focusing on what's right with people rather than what's wrong with them. And the idea that we should really appreciate everyone for who they are, because we're all so ridiculously different. Maybe we, you know, maybe we do have some things in common, but it's, you know, even if we both have the, the same strength, let's say we both have learner, our learners could show up differently in our lives. And so it's all about being the best of who you are and not trying to imitate someone else. So I feel like it's so easy to say, oh, that person's a good leader. I want to be like that person. But you can still be a good leader by being genuinely and authentically yourself and using your innate talents to to develop into a leader. And you don't have to go into much detail if you don't want to, but what are the hesitations around taking this? I mean, is it just the unknown that people are scared of? I think part of it is that people don't like to be labeled. So so people are afraid of how this information will be used against them, potentially. If, if they work for a company or they work on a team where there's not a lot of trust, especially this is when I'm seeing it, where it's like you, you have to have some trust in your colleagues or, or in your company to know that this is a tool to, um, you know, improve the way you work together and to become more self-aware, but it's not going to be used against you. It's not going to be like, oh, you work for a consulting firm, but you don't have strategic as a strength. So that means you're not a good consultant. That's the kind of, they don't want those assumptions. I see. Um, and, and that's really not how it's supposed to be used at all. But, you know, they're just, I think, not knowing the whole methodology behind it and not knowing exactly how to apply it, I can understand why people are hesitant to be labeled and why they're hesitant for other people to to um, to develop assumptions based on the results that they get. Come on, people. Get your results. Understand what they mean. I know. Use them. I know. Talk, <laughs> talk, yeah. Talk to me about it. I love talking about this. <laughs> so That's great. Yeah. I think it's really useful. Well, Julie, I would ask you a question of, are there any recommendations that you have or any advice that you would give to people in like how to keep play alive or how to stay engaged in work based off of the stories that we talked about today? Yeah, let's see. Well, um, I'm going to build off of what we were just talking about, which we were going into Clifton Strengths and how... Sure. You know, in the, in this situation, I'm drawing parallels between how I played with dolls and and created, uh, you know, and got the qualities of being caring and compassionate from that experience, and also how I wanted to be a teacher. And essentially, I am a teacher in a lot of ways now, but just for adults, which is not something I envisioned when I was young. So, building off of strengths, I would say each of us are different. So, what is fun for me at work wouldn't be necessarily fun for someone else. So, for me doing different things at work is fun, not being stagnant. I want opportunities to learn and grow and to meet new people and learn from them. This is not the case with everyone. Some people like to master the job that is put in front of them. And then once they master it and are able to uh, deliver on that really well every day, that's what's fun for them, right? But what's fun for me is to when I feel like I'm about to master something, I want something else to do. Yeah. That's That's fun for me. I feel engaged when I when I have new things put on my plate. Um, so it's just, I think the advice that I would give based on what I know about people and about strengths is figure out what is fun for you and then do more of that thing. So um, some things that could be helpful when you're, when 
you're figuring out what that is. I like talking about how people can tell if they're headed in the right direction. Um, and the right direction meaning, do you enjoy what you do? Are you having fun? Are you engaged at work? So there are a couple things you can look for. One is rapid learning. So if you pick up an activity really quickly without having to know the instructions or it just comes naturally to you, that's something that is probably fun for you and, and a way that you can tell that you're headed in the right direction and then that you would be engaged in that activity. Or if you are yearning for something, meaning you have a magnetic attraction to a specific way of doing something or a specific activity. So if there is a project that is put in front of you and you really want to do a certain part of it, that, that shows you where the fun would be for you. Another thing to pay attention to is flow. So if, they, if you're doing an activity and there's a sense of timelessness, if you feel like, whoa, where did the last five hours go? I think that's, that's a sign that you're doing something fun and that you should continue going down that path. And I like thinking about glimpses of excellence, like what you've been known for or recognized for or... Um, for example, if there's ever been something you've done and you think to yourself, I don't even know how I did that. That's a glimpse of excellence. And that to me is fun and, and a way to, to recognize um, when you're in, in this state of being where you're, you're firing on all cylinders and you're doing your best. And then satisfaction and what do you finish and can't wait to do again. These are, these are some things that I share with, with teams when I'm training or, or doing a team building activity based on strengths. And it's something that this is the, the advice that I would give that figure out what these things are for you, figure out when you're in the flow, when you're learning something rapidly, when you feel really satisfied by something and try to do more of it and try to explain to your colleagues and your managers what those things are for you so that you, you can incorporate that into your everyday work. Like, I know that we can't always control what work is assigned to us, but if we pay attention to these things, we might be able to communicate to managers and colleagues why certain things should be our responsibility. Like, I'm very interested in this particular part of the project, or I really am good at this, and I'll be the most efficient person to be, to be working on this particular thing. I think we, we're able to shape our fun if we really pay attention to what's fun for us and then communicate it to other people. I think that communication is pivotal. And I also think that people need to be aware of uh, the fact that they actually can share those things with people on their team, especially team leaders. That way they can be pulled into certain aspects, even if it's just for a little bit, you know, like to get their toes dipped into it. Um, but I think it's super important to communicate um, because, it, you know, a job needs to work both ways. And if you're not getting what you need out of it, you know, you'll just be miserable. Exactly. And I think, yeah, sure, people in some situations, people are stuck and they can't they don't have much control over the work that they do. But in a lot of situations, I think we have more control than we think. But people really hesitate to communicate their needs, like you're saying, or communicate, hey, I really am good at this part of it. And I see my colleagues better at this other part. Why don't we distribute the work that way? It's, it's like we if we don't communicate these things and we don't talk about what we need in order to be engaged in work, then we're just most likely no one's going to hand it to you on a silver platter. You just have no, to talk about it. They're absolutely not. And you need to bring yeah. the solutions yourself too. If it's not, if somebody's not providing it for you, you need to be a little bit more prescriptive in what it is that you want rather than saying that you want something different or you want 
a specific role over and over again. I think the way that you described everything is a great way to look at it from like a strengths perspective. And I think if somebody's able to tell their story in that way, it's more of a better case that they'll actually get what they want. Because I've been in situations where individuals are yearning for a different role or want to be taken into a different team or something along those lines, but they're just demanding it over and over again without actually, you know, helping provide a solution for how it can happen. And it's just hard to watch and hard to be a part of because I know those people would be, um, you know, a little turned off by things. But it's like, you know, from my perspective in that same situation, I was able to maneuver and get where I needed to go. So if that person didn't, I would also say it's on them sometimes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think my my last piece of advice here would be to keep it all in perspective. And And when I say that, I mean that, from the experiences that I've had in my childhood, plus from the experiences in my adult life, and even some of the ones that were the most fulfilling and the most challenging at the same time, like Peace Corps, I think what I what I tried to do in those situations that enabled me to find a balance and to, to have fun was to realize that nothing is forever. So I think it's easy in our work lives to have a really frustrating day and to allow that to take over and to continue that frustration into um, into the conversations we have with people yeah. and it'll roll into more and more days and hours of our lives. And it's like, we have to remember that there, it, yeah, that things change. And I just watched a colleague's talk uh, that he gave at a conference on mental health, which was awesome. And, and he talked about at the end, sustainable hope. So it means, when I'm suffering, I know I won't always be suffering. Even when I'm happy, I know I won't always be happy. And I, I know that there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. There will always eventually be joy again. So the idea that I think we we have the most fun and enjoy ourselves when we just have some perspective and know nothing's forever and that's okay. And um, we'll all have ups and downs at work, but I, I try to keep a positive attitude. And I think that's one thing that keeps the fun in my in my um, everyday work life, I just try to think even if something frustrating happened, I try to um, not focus on that as much and just figure out what the solution is or how I can get out of that attitude and, and into something more positive again. And that's our show. Everyone thank Julie for spending time with us and sharing a bit about herself. Julie is a very caring and compassionate person, and I believe we can all grow a lot if we do as she says and start focusing on each other's strengths versus what's wrong with each other. Thanks for listening. Make sure to tune in next time and subscribe. For more information on how to infuse play into the workplace, visit our website at improv.agency.